I'll be reading from the King James Bible, but most of our stuff will be from the New American Standard, but I know everybody has different Bibles out there, so I don't know if that matters much. So, to who are we accountable to? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold to the truth and un- who hold to the truth and unrighteousness. We are accountable to God. Right? All right, so why are we accountable to him? Yeah, exactly. You guys are right on the same page. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's, that's what Paul says. And, and, and just by the way, we're, we're reading from the first four chapters of Paul to begin with, and I, I know it seems kind of counterintuitive, but bear with me, I'll, I'll, make, it, I'll make it make sense. So what's, what's our problem based on the scriptures I've read so far? We have a sin problem, right? right. So we've all fallen short, and, and by the grace of God, we, we do find salvation. That brings me to the third point. What is the solution? But now the righteousness of God without the law was, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So God made a way. And the fourth is our response. How are we going to respond to this grace that God has given us? How are we going to respond to the, the means by which God has provided for us to escape the punishment for our sin? Right? So we, we need to get to the point where we understand that, that we are being justified freely by grace. All right? Uh, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ alone. Not, not based on works, although our orthopraxy, in other words, how we live our life, is going to be fully based on what we understand this Word of God to be saying to us today. So to summarize what Paul, Paul is saying, Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in chapter 1, or verse 1. We're going to read through 4. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declared unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which as you have received, and where ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I believe... I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Pretty interesting. Does anybody know where he got this idea from? He got it from the very book that we're going to be studying today in the book of Isaiah. Um, The book of Isaiah is considered a major prophet book, but it's not because it's more important than any of the other 12 minor prophets. It's just that all of the major prophets, their scrolls are enormous, taking up one whole scroll for each of the books, whereas all 12 of the minor prophets would fit on one large scroll. one of the things that I, I, I had a good time when I was studying with this, because it, 
When I was a younger man, I, I used to like to watch this show called Forensic Files. Anybody familiar with it? I absolutely loved how they would take the remains of someone and then rebuild the face and then get it so close that someone would recognize it. And so when I'm reading through the books of the prophets, I'm like seeing all of this come, you know, the Messiah is fleshing out. I can see who he is. And, and yes, we, we, we are, you know, on this side of the cross, so we, we kind of have an idea of what we're looking at when we're reading it. But anyone in, in, the, in the days of Messiah and before reading these, they knew that this, these, these prophets were talking about a time where the Messiah was coming. And so by studying the prophets, it, it leaves no doubt who it is. We're talking about Jesus, the Messiah. Okay, so the historical context, and I probably should have brought that over here, but uh, the historical prop, uh, uh, context is uh, the prophecies of Isaiah are set against the backdrop of a rising Assyrian um, power. Um, they're resurgent in ancient nation, and, and they, had, um, they, they pose a great threat to many nations, especially Israel. But um, just to give you uh, a feeling for how massive this movement was, it, it, from, from Ur of Chaldee, all the way up to Ararat, back down even to Egypt. So that whole sloth, this whole sloth right here, all of this, they came and they conquered and they, they terrorized everyone that was in their path. So that's, just, that's the historical context. So what I like to do when I first start out studying is I look for words that are repeating identify those, I do a study on those, but I also try to find out who wrote the book um, and maybe what his name meant. So, as we know, Isaiah is the book we're studying. He indeed wrote the book. Um, his name in Hebrew is Yeshiyahu. His, na his name means Yahweh is salvation. Of all of the, the prophets that we have information about, Isaiah is the prophet that we have the most information. However, that being said, it's still scant, so it's not as much as you, one might think, but enough for us to understand who he is. Um, he resided in Jerusalem. Um, according to tradition, he may have been related to King Uzziah uh, as his cousin, and that he had personal contact with at least two of the kings, Ahaz and Hezekiah. He was married. Uh, he has two sons. Uh, the first son was Sherah Jushuba. I probably killed that name. But his name in Hebrew means a remnant shall return. Um, and this, his name was a testament to God's faithfulness to the people, the people of Israel. His second son is Melshar Hashbaz. Uh, and his name in Hebrew means hasting to the spoil uh, or hurrying to the prey. And it talks about uh, his, it, it, the pending judgment that was coming, Israel and Judah and all of the surrounding nations around them. Because one of the things that I noticed is that while God starts with his own people, those whom he uses, in other words, the pagan nations that he raised up to come against Israel and come against Judah, they also are going to be judged as well. So, 
with the three names. It's really interesting that we can almost preach the gospel by understanding these three names. And in the Hebrew, almost every name is like a short Hebrew sentence. All right? So we find out that Yahweh is salvation, that he is going to have a remnant, and he's going to bring them back, and that he will judge the wicked. Those three names. So I think it's interesting that he sent Isaiah, which means, you know, Yahweh is salvation, to a people who are about ready to be judged. That he told Isaiah to bring your son in chapter 7 of Isaiah um, and talk to Ahaz. And his son, his name was a remnant shall return. Pretty interesting. Um, So, Like I said, he wrote the book, the very first passage in the book. It says, Isaiah wrote the book. It says that the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, uh, which saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he, his ministry was a 40-year ministry. There were four different kings that, 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 that reigned in Judah during this time frame. Um. So, as far as who wrote the book, so there's lots of controversy and liberal scholarship today, and basically the problem that we have is that uh, there's a, they, they noticed a difference in content and a predictive prophecy. They, most liberal scholars, they will tell you that that's not possible. You can't talk about Cyrus 100, about 150 years before he's on the scene and prophesy that he's going to send his people back and rebuild rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And so that's one of the biggest issues that modern scholarship shares today. However, when we take a look at all of the the surrounding nations, all of the pagan nations, prophecy was a very big part of their writings also. And so it's not unheard of in the Eastern culture for them to have prophecies and believe that they were even possible. So um, it was, it was, you know, we could see that even in the Bible, it, it talks about the narratives of Balaam and, the, and then the prophets of Baal, uh, sponsored by Ahab and Jezebel. So those are just a couple of examples of other Middle Eastern countries, uh, Near Eastern countries, who also had prophets and believed in prophecy. So the very fact that, that we have these writings, that they prophesy things, it's not unusual, and, and because... We have lots of first-hand witnesses. We can, we, can be, we can be sure that this is the true word. Uh, so when was it written? Okay, so this is interesting uh, in the way that this breaks down. The first chapters, 1 through 39, they were, they were written around 700 B.C. And, and the second half was written around 40 to, or, or chapters 40 through 66. They were written around 681. And why this is interesting is because most people, when they, when they study the book of Isaiah, they recognize that it, it's like a Bible within a Bible. I don't know if you notice the math there, but there are 66 books, or 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. There are 66 books in our Bibles today. Uh, the, the first half of Isaiah 1 through 39, it talks about judgment. The second half, salvation, redemption. Now, the first half, arguably, there's a lot of redemption 
involved in what Isaiah spoke in those words. But as a breakdown, the first half is in much the same respect as our Hebrew scriptures are today. Um, And the second half is kind of like our New Testament, our 27 books. Um, And like I said earlier, the book uh, is, is not just a judgment against Judah. It's against Judah. It's against the surrounding nations. It's against Israel. God is, is not going to allow uh, uh, the people to, to break his law and, to, and break his covenant and to, and to just do detestable things, you know, child sacrifice. These are some of the things that were prevalent in Israel and in Judah during the time, and that's why judgment came. Okay, and, and another thing. Um, so I started in the book of Romans. That's another thing. Uh, the book of Isaiah by, in scholarship is considered to be like the, the Hebrew version of the book of, of Romans. So it has a lot of the same. Um, it, it starts off with the judgment and salvation and, and, and the indictments that, you know, we have sinned against God and we're, we're accountable to him and, and how God throughout the book of Isaiah, just like a, just like a forensic, you know, reconstruction, he is, is, is given us a picture of the redemption that is to come. His ministry uh, lasted, Isaiah's ministry lasted around 40 years. Um, as I said, he served during these four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Um, so now let's get into the passages. Uh, do we have people with the, uh, can we start with uh, the very first verse of Isaiah, please? Thank you. It says, uh, then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Very interesting. The branch, as you study through the, the Hebrew scriptures, the branch is a very interesting person that is identified as the Messiah all throughout the scriptures. Um, and notice that it, it the, the, the stem of Jesse. Does anybody remember who Jesse is? He's the father of King David, right? So, if you guys would, please turn to 2 Samuel, chapter 7. In chapter 7, King David has conquered all of his enemies. He's basically in a very good place. And he looks out, because he's got this beautiful cedar palace that he lives in, and he looks out and he notices that the God of creation, his house is like made of skins and stuff like that. And so he has a desire to build a house for the Lord. And he's talking it over with the prophet. And Nathan, he says, ah, this is a good idea. And, but the Lord came to Nathan that night, and, and he basically told David that he would not be able to build the house. However, the Lord said that he would build him a house. And this is what he said. He says, I will establish, I, I will be his father. Oh, here, 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 hang on. He shall build an house for my name. And, okay, let me get me. 
did I start here? Sorry. He says, the Lord told David that his, his house and his kingdom shall be established forever before thee, and thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak to King David. And then David went, then David went into and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And so, basically, the Lord God, you know, he, he did not reside in, 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 a, in a house made by the hands of man all through the, the exodus in the wilderness. He was in the tent of meeting, but there's a greater meaning to the temple of God. We are the temple of God. But his, David's desire to build a house for the Lord. He, he had a heart after God's own heart. And, and, and so what, what God did in this situation is that he prophesied to David and told him his plan. And, and David wasn't hurt about it, and he wasn't upset, and he was happy that the Lord would allow his son, which is also in here, um, to build Solomon, to build that temple. So an interesting thing, um, the branch. Netzar is, is the Hebrew word for the branch. And we, we find several places in, in, in the scriptures where this is, uh, is mentioned. Um, it says in, in, in Isaiah 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verses 2, it says, In that day shall the branch of the Lord uh, be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of, of the earth shall be excellent and comely for that they are escaped of, for the escaped of Israel. And it says here, another one in Jeremiah 23 and 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice um, in the earth. And then in Zechariah, And speak unto him, saying, uh, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build a temple of the Lord. That's Zechariah 6 and 12. Now, in, in, in Matthew 23, we see an allusion to this word, the netzar, the branch. And uh, some people were like, okay, so this prophecy, where do we find this in the Old, Temp Old Testament? And so I think it's just a play on words, and it's found in Matthew 20, or 2 and 23. He says, And he came and dwelt in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, uh, which is spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, it has nothing to do with the Nazarite vow and, and, and number 6. Um, but the, the root of the word, netzar, we think that that's a play on words. So it's kind of interesting how the netzar, the branch, uh, you begin to see the prophecy fulfilled in, in Matthew and, and his mention of it in, in chapter 2. 
Um, can we go to the next slide, please? Thank you. Okay, so I have, I have it grouped a little bit differently here, but bear with me. It's, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, and the spirit of counsel, and might, and the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. And he shall make of him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. Uh, Shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be a girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. As we, we start to to look at this, we, we, we recognize that these are the attributes of God. Um, and we see that the Spirit of the Lord is, is poured out without measure on Christ. Um, and one of the interesting things, as we read through the passage, we, I guess I should have started with that, but I'm sorry, folks. So, in the context of 11, it, to begin with, we see how the Assyrians were cut down like a tree. They were stumped. Only this tree is not going to regrow. And then we see the contrast in chapter 11 where it begins with, and there shall, be, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, um, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. So we see that God is going to cut off this evil, wicked nation, but... Israel, even though they're being judged, there is going to be a righteous branch that sprouts out of the stump. They're not completely dead. They're not gone. God has still got plans for Israel. And its plans include a uh, Davidic king who is none other than Christ, and, and he will reign forever. But one of the things that I wanted to mention is you see how the stump, Israel was cut down. Um, they lost their status. During this time, before, before the judgment came, Israel was very prosperous. They had lots of things going on for the trade, and, and their militaries were strong, and then they were completely humbled by the judgment of God. And here we are in the New Testament, um, and we're talking about Mary and Joseph, who are both from the line of David, both of them, um, but they have humble, humble statuses in life. One of them He's a humble carpenter. And the other one is a young lady, a young virgin. Um, in Isaiah chapter 7, we hear if you would turn with me to 7 and 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So we see this humble young woman in in the first century who had never known a man. She was betrothed to Joseph, but both from the house of David. Um, So we can see forensically how God has... has, has, uh, taking the, the line of David and bringing forth his Messiah. 
Now, this is some 700 years after the prophecy that I just read. Um, in, in, in the Gospel of John, it talks about, um, about the measure of the Spirit. We, we said that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and the Spirit of counsel. Uh, when, we, when we read the Gospel of John, it talks about it in these terms. It says, for, we, for he whom God hath sent speaketh these words, of, speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. So his Spirit, he had the Spirit without measure. Uh, and he says, Behold my servant, I uphold, I uphold my elect, in whom my, my soul delighteth. I have put my Spirit upon him. And he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. That's in Isaiah 42. Um, so and when you read the book of Revelation, when we, when we look at these attributes of God, we see that these are none other than the sevenfold attributes, the sevenfold spirits that, of God. We, we, we see uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 5. Uh, the Ruach. Uh, it's described in several other positions, and uh, we, we see that the, it's wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, uh, I think, is a, is a misunderstood term, and it has to do with uh, reverence for God, not, uh, not uh, just, uh, you know, I'm terrified, but it has, it's a reverential fear. It's, it's kind of the fear that you would have for your mother or your father when they ask you to do things. But the fear of the Lord here, uh, when Christ came, it says in, in Matthew 5, uh, it says, he says, think not that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them, right? And that Greek word, fulfill, has a meaning and an understanding of making full and, and, and bringing a fuller understanding of it. So when it says that he, he had a, a uh, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord and, and he shall make him quick to understand in the fear of the Lord. It's talking about Christ's ability to teach the laws and the commandments of God to the people. Um, in the next section, please, uh, starting with um, 6. It says here, we're starting to transition a little bit here, um, and, and we're talking about the kingdom that the Messiah is, is, is going to bring into fruition. Uh, it's going to be a kingdom where the wolf shall lie down with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the suckling child shall play on the hole of an asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice's den, which is another venomous snake. Um, and, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is an amazing picture of what the world is going to look like in the second coming of Christ. There's, it's, it's a complete reversal. If we remember this, the narrative in, in, in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, we read and we, we, we see that the world was different. The animals 
They weren't killing and eating each other. We weren't killing and eating animals. Um, these, the whole world is going to be different um, when the Messiah comes back. It's going to revert back to a new creation that God had. That's what it originally God wanted for his creation. He didn't want all of this evil, wicked things going on, you know, people sacrificing their children, um, animals killing, killing people and killing each other and eating each other. The world is going to revert back to a better place and time. Um, and verse 10. Do you have verse 10 up? Okay, the last verse in our, in our section here. And in that day... There shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign for the people. And it shall, and, and it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Just amazing. You know, we, we talk about the faithfulness of God. We, we see from the very beginning of Scripture, where, where God, after they had sinned, he had... He had made an offering for their sins. He had covered them with the clothes because they, 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 man, we're naked. You know, what would we do? We're hiding. Um, but God provided a way. He, he said from the garden that he was going to provide someone that was going to crush the head of the serpent. He was talking to Abraham and, and through Abraham and his seed, we are going to have redemption and not only for Israel, but for the nations as well. And then when we see the, the covenant of Moses and, and then, then we fast forward a bit to, to the New Testament, we see that God is faithful. He brought forth His Messiah. He, first time He came for redemption, the second time He's going to come and He's going to make all things new. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and there will be no more killing and death and destruction. There will be no more death. That will be the final thing that is defeated. But what we see in, in, in verse 10 is a complete reversal. So to recap, in Isaiah, the first, and some of these prophecies are, well, most of these prophecies are not in chronological order. So we see the promise of the virgin in, verse, uh, in chapter 7, verses 14, and then in 9 and 6, we talk about, <clears throat> let's go to that, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of his increase, and of his government, and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom, to order it, and to establish it, with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. And so we see in, this, in the very end here, in this passage, how he will, he will provide for his people and the, the Gentiles who were not previously a part of the covenant will be brought in and he will be assigned the Messiah. And if we haven't, 
I know I didn't mention this, but if we hadn't noticed that this prophecy in, in, in chapter 11, 1 through 10, this is talking about the second coming. We're talking about the day of the Lord time frame where God is going to come and the wicked are going to be judged and done away with eschatologically. So that's all I have. Let's pray.